listening to the Gator Sports Podcast, brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. This is a USA Today Network production, and your host, Graham Hall and David Whitley. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined to my left by my co-host, David Whitley, and the day is finally here, Florida fans. Today, everyone's been waiting for Billy Napier. His first year at Florida is about to step on the practice field for the first time as the Gators open spring practice later this afternoon. We are here in the Gainesville Sun offices right now, this morning. It's a rainy day, and I'm sitting here as I pulled in the parking lot, David. I'm thinking, man, they are lucky to have an indoor practice facility because it was five, six years ago where it it would either be pouring on you or you'd be baking in the sun. And now we're going to be in air-conditioned with water fountains all around us, watching some spring practice. Are you excited? I can't begin to express how excited I am. <laughs> Actually, it, you know, on behalf of Gator Nation, yes, I am excited because this is finally when, I, I won't say the rubber meets the road, but you know, all you've seen of, of Billy Napier so far is in front of podiums, you know, out on the speaking circuit. Uh, and, and now he's going to be actually doing what they hired him to do out there saying, you do this, you do that, blowing a whistle, stuff, you know, and, and this is, you know, you're finally going to get to see the surgeon in surgery. Yeah. And, and you know, this, this is the corpse that needs some, uh, uh, some, some major surgery. So it's yeah. going to be fascinating to see how this comes about. Now, obviously, we won't, you know, this is just, uh, you know, just the first cut today. If we may, if we may run this whole metaphor of surgery into the ground, you know, it, it's and the patient is just getting the anesthesia. Actually, he probably had the anesthesia the last couple of months during this <laughs> during this identity process when they're when they're seeing who you know who's out there and, and who's gonna who's got what it takes and the whole get my mind right thing. So we'll see who has their mind right starting today. Yeah, and I don't want to undersell the importance of the past few months by saying oh nothing's been going on because anytime you go from one coach to another. There are some residual feelings there where you have to build trust as the new coach. You have to prove why in a very short span without being able to really prove it on the practice field, why you're better than the last guy, the guy that everyone committed to, signed for, transferred in for. You have to make amends in a sense when you didn't really do anything wrong for a lot of guys who are hurt and you have to kind of wait You have to wait a few months to even get in the weight room. That's such an interesting process to me, and I've always kind of said that's why you should retain some coaches because you need to have someone on staff who I know they're paid, but they can say, yeah, this guy is good, you know? And I was on the last staff. This guy's going to help you out. It doesn't make sense to me when a coach completely cleans house because you need to say, hey, yeah, I'm going to evaluate everyone. Some guys are good, and they're also going to help with the building trust process. So when you step onto the field in March – it's not, okay, I still am not 100% maybe committed to this guy. He still has something to prove. They're fully behind the coach. And we're going to see that today with how hard I think a lot of guys go and the excitement level. I think that if you're able to generate excitement this early in spring practice from a player perspective, it shows how bought in I think you are to what you just talked about, that surgery. If you have the mindset that, oh, this is business as usual, we didn't do anything wrong, this is spring practice as usual, you're not going to have the improvement from the player perspective, we're going to see, I think, a lot of that today, how willing these players are ready to improve under Napier. Yeah, that is, you know, I think 
we can talk forever and people will about the individual and and the positions and who will do this and that. But overall, I think what what has to come out of this entire spring process is that the people have bought in to the new guy. And, you know, today will be the first glimpse of that. Although I think invariably it's sort of like any time a, a new coach, you know, you win the first press conference. I, I It's sort of hard, I think, from the observation standpoint that we have that to say, ah, oh, they haven't bought in yet. You know, there's I think there's going to be a lot of pep and a lot of everything because, you know, for one thing, the, I don't know, malcontents is probably too, too hard of a word, but those who, who, who were the, who may not have bought in, they probably have already left or yeah. they, they saw what was coming. And in their first interviews with, with the staff and just getting the vibe with people, they said, this isn't for me and I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. And so, you know, they're not necessarily bad apples, but they just said, I, I don't fit here. So I think the guys who decided to stick around said, all right, you know, if I'm here, I, I better, you know, I better buy in. I'm, I got to be all in, not half in. So I think that, you know, they will say the right things and they will look, look good and look sharp. Uh, so it'll be easy for people to say, yes, you know, uh, he's a new guy. We love, I've yet to see a guy say, yeah, I, I don't really know. That, I mean, they may think that, but yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to say it, but it, it will, it will manifest itself eventually. But, you know, when we're, you know, uh, once, once the orange and blue game is over, you know, that's, I think where you, you'll start to, to maybe see if they have actually, you know, if they're living up to what they're saying that, yeah, we, we believe in this guy. Yeah, and there's some excitement. I think you mentioned the orange and blue game yeah. that we'll actually see the return of a spring game here April 16th. That that information is going to be on Gatorsports.com a little bit later. It's going to be really interesting to just have something to progress towards, being able to see that oh. scrimmage in terms of the excitement from the fan base because that hasn't been there in recent years. I mean, I remember when Florida didn't even have enough offensive linemen to be able to field two teams out there. So having something to work toward in the middle of April starting now, I think that there's just a little bit elevated excitement from the fan perspective knowing that, hey, we're going to see what how this turns out, how you progress over the next month because they're going to get the glimpse today of 15, 20 minutes that we're going to put out on social media and, and on Gatorsports.com with galleries and notes and all those takeaways, but then they're going to get to see it for themselves a month later. Just that progression, I think, is just really interesting in, in and of itself. Yeah, well, and you couple that with the fact that uh, there has you know, it's been no spring game for two two years, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, I mean, if, if even if it was still the Mullen regime, I think, you know, this spring would be a little special because, hey, finally, you know, we there's something cool about spring games. You know, they've become events into themselves. They used to just be glorified scrimmages. And, you know, if you had nothing better to do that Saturday afternoon, maybe you take your kid up and see it. But now, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where, where exactly it became a huge, I, you know, I, I know, I guess what Saban's first spring game had 100,000 people in, you know, <laughs> but, well, you know, we're talking, we're talking Crazyville there. So, uh, but the fact that, it, it's been two years, and also this is the first time you're going to see Billy Napier on the sideline, you know, in, in an orange or, or blue or whatever he's going to wear, doing his thing and all these other guys. And, you know, this is going to be, you know, I can see it now. How many eyes are going to be talk on that QB? Who's going to come out? How many snaps? Who will be? I mean, and I'm fascinated, too, to see who will be out there in six weeks, you know, uh, what, what that uh, depth chart looks like. And, and, you know, because this is, it is, you know, we, we overplay things, but th- this is, that will truly be the first glimpse of a new era. And you, you look, I was just the other day looking over the, the coaches of, uh, for an, another story I was researching on, of, uh, of just the coach who'd been here. And, 
and each, each when you, every name comes up and something comes to mind, you know, and and you think, well, it must have been cool to be there that first that first spring he was there, <laughs> yeah, you know, and what it was like and how even back when you know, like, I was talking to an old hand the other day when Doug Dickey came in nineteen sixty or seventy, you know, because that was a huge deal, you know, uh, what a reference with, with going from Ray Graves to Doug Dickey, yeah, and and the state was, I mean, this is before you know even before my time. And 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 how everybody was obsessed with that, and what it must have been like, and you know these these guys John Reeves and these super softs and all this coming in, and, and you know, and here we are, we're starting this new thing. So you know, in, in fifty years, someone and someone will be sitting here. Well, maybe I don't know if this building will still be here, but uh, and thinking back, what was it like when Billy Napier? And you know, of course, that's the unwritten script. You know, will he be, you know, a, a, a three and done like Dan Mullen, or will he be a guy who you know is is what people look back on and say? Man, that was a golden era. Yeah, and that all starts really today. I know that the yeah. last few months of buildup have been the introductory portion, the building the support staff, transfers, you name it, and now we get to see it all come together. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit before we get to this first break about five newcomers we're looking forward to see. The next segment, we're going to talk about some returning players here in Gainesville that we think could have an impact under a new coaching staff. And in the final segment, we are going to talk about Mike White. Florida head coach? No. Georgia head coach now. That's all coming up here. But five newcomers. You know, there weren't too many guys, David, that were able to get in in the early portion. You talk about early enrollee freshmen. We're used to sometimes seeing 11, 12 guys. But when you go through a coaching change, that number really can dwindle. Sometimes you can see a guy like Dan Mullen. When he, when he got to Gainesville in November, he really hit the ground running. And you saw him sign 11 guys that ended up being early enrollee freshmen by January. Emory Jones, you name it. Multiple guys who got on campus really early. Billy Napier took a much more patient approach. He said that really early in his tenure. I believe it was actually at his introductory yes, press it, conference. Yes, it was. It threw some people for a loop. I mean, right? honesty yeah. from a head coach like that? Be mm-hmm. patient with me. I think that was such a breath of fresh air because you don't want someone over-promising when they arrive. How disastrous would it have been if Billy Napier were to have misled people and said, oh, we're going to sign a bunch of five stars before December, what, 16th? Yeah. That would have been ludicrous if that was not his plan, but he took the honest approach. Hey, I'm going to be patient. We're coming from Louisiana, a nine-plus-hour drive away. I've been recruiting an entirely different area. This is a talent-rich state. I'm going to need to evaluate everyone. And there were some guys, I think, who were obvious ones. We're going to talk about one here in a second. But when it came to guys he was able to get on campus in January, most of them were transfers. And it was only five, but most of them were transfers who had played. And the majority of those were guys who had played for Napier Mm -hmm. at Louisiana. And the first one I got to talk about is Osiris Torrance because the offensive line is so important for this Florida team. You look at what the Gators struggle with last year, having an abundance of running backs. Look at Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, and then Emory Jones, who had more than 700-plus rushing yards last year. It's going to come down to the offensive line if Florida wants to become a more consistent rushing team. And that starts with the protection. You have three guys, I think, who started last year who were in their third year, Kingsley Aguacon, Ethan White. Uh, You have Josh Braun, but outside of them, especially on the right side of the line, you need some help. And I think that's where Osiris Torrance comes in, as well as the addition of Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton. So I'm really excited to watch Torrance. He was all Sunbelt for two straight years before coming here. He could be an instant starter in his first spring. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of just, 
you don't see that too often. Let me say that. Yeah, I I think that when Billy Napier got the job, probably the first guy that popped into his head was was who do I have that I can say, hey, uh, you want to come with me? Absolutely. And uh, he. You know, we ha- we've never seen him play. I I, I haven't. I don't, I'm sure you probably didn't haven't broken down that University of Louisiana film yet. Watched from, a few YouTube clips, but okay. you can't yeah. glean much from. Yeah, but uh, and and there, you know, as we've seen with a lot of tra- there there is a, a different. It's not SEC competition, but it's not it, it's legit competition. And he was a one of the better players in that league, and it is an, uh, a a position of need for sure. And he. Just from the outside looking in, he he looks like the perfect guy. If they had to get some guy off that team to come in and, and play and start and and fill a hole, it would be him. Yeah, and talking about running backs behind him and guys who are coming over from the Rage and Cajuns, you think that maybe you're going to see Montreal Johnson starting in that backfield. I put him as number two on this newcomer list. I think that he is a guy that could be your starter come day one as a true sophomore his freshman year he rushed for more than 800 yards he had 12 touchdowns at Louisiana that rushing attack was just great there in Lafayette it was fantastic what he did but I think that Demarcus Bowman and Lorenzo Lingard may have something to say about a sophomore coming in here I mean Bowman was a five-star but Johnson certainly, what you just said about Torrance, you know, he he didn't just come over right. with Napier for for no reason. Right, right. Yeah, these guys don't come here to sit on the bench. Yeah, and yeah, he he will probably will be because he understands the the position. But I think that it it'll be a lot like last year. It's going to be a a, a position that's done by committee. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of him. And and you know Bowman Bowman is one of these guys that you mention his name and people's eyes light up because he had such a you know such a great resume in high school and I thought you know he's like one of the top fifty rec- running back recruits ever you know and it goes to Clemson doesn't work out there for whatever reason comes here and people automatically think okay he's good but yeah, I mean let's face it you know and and we know how how now looking back how good Damian Pierce was you know you you're not going to come in and and blow that guy out of the water I mean and and Naquan Wright you know if, if he's healthy I mean and this is not like quarterback where you can almost have too many you know with, with running backs as long as there there's no animosity between them you know you you can never have enough running backs uh, I, it it must be frustrating. Like last year, if you're Lorenzo Lingard or or Bowman, you you know you're good. At least you know everybody's already told you you're good, and God knows you're great in high school. It hadn't quite worked out, but you want to get on the field. But I mean, who were they going to take off the field last year? You know, so I mean, they took Damian Pierce off the field more than they should have. So it it could be the same deal. You know, somebody is going to get frustrated. That's just the nature of this beast, though. You know, you you're never going to get all the all the carries you want. But I, I, I can see it easily be a three-headed monster back there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's such a double-edged sword in a sense as a running back because you want to show your value at the next level, but you also want to preserve your long-term value in a sense. And so Damian Pierce only having 100 carries last year, yeah, there's an argument that if you're a Florida fan, you would have liked to see him rush more for the benefit of the team. But a guy like him, a mature guy, I think he understands the long-term value in him only getting single digit carries in a lot of those games and so absolutely I think Johnson is going to be part of the backfield committee how many carries he gets is really interesting if he gets more than Lorenzo Lingard uh, I I would be kind of surprised but more than Naquan Wright I think that's absolutely a distinct possibility knowing what he has to come back from after suffering that devastating knee injury against FSU we also know that Florida is going to use a lot of safeties we've seen underclassmen come in here and start 
very early into their campaigns. Rashad Torrance comes to mind. Trey Dean, we know he started at corner, ended up moving to safety, has played all over. Corey Collier, a guy who would like to see the field a little bit more. But Florida added another five-star early enrollee freshman at safety in Kamari Wilson. Broke that IMG Academy curse, David, that everyone loves Mm -hmm. talking about. There's going to be high expectations for him no matter what. Everyone's going to be watching him. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very, very interesting... You have to have an interesting perspective with him. I I don't want to put too much hype on him right right away, but people are going to be just calling for him to see the field because he's here on campus early, has a chance to take advantage of that early window, and if he doesn't play at least those four games as a freshman, there's going to be just cause for concern. So seeing what they already have in him midway through that period between arriving on campus and that first fall that's going to come in August is just going to be something really interesting to watch. If he doesn't get many reps, I don't know what to make of, yeah. of him right now. Well, you're just going to make a guy who obviously has a ton of natural skills, but he's just having a hard time adjusting to the college game. Sure. And that's what we just don't know. Obviously, you know, at, at IMG... You know, you, you don't. They they put out a pretty good product, obviously, and and but you never know for sure how it's going to you know how quickly a guy will take to a college system. Uh, he if he didn't think he could do it, he wouldn't have come here. Absolutely. And so it will be interesting. And you know he is going. It it's it's not a position of desperate need because they do have the starters two starters coming back. So if he doesn't come in and start right away, I don't think it's necessarily a, a reflection on him. You know, I mean, you look over the history of some of the greatest players in college football. They didn't start right away, and then they develop. So, but just the fact that he is, you know, that five star and and the and the the bell cow of this first recruiting class, he'll get a lot of attention. Yeah, just like Kamar Wilcoxon got when he got on campus as a seventeen-year-old reclassified. You got to see him have a jump on his career. I think that's a very level-headed perspective to have. You got to look at the big picture for this guy because I mean, who expects him? to come on campus right away and command first team reps. I mean, yeah. that would be kind of an indictment in my mind of who they had behind him. Right. Or this is guy is like, oh, he's a guaranteed first round pick. You're, you just got to temper your expectations with a guy like this. Tempered expectations, I think, is a good term to use for the next guy on this list because I really don't know what to expect out of him aside from another high-ranking status just like Kamari Wilson. You, you think that Jalen Kimber who came over from Georgia, suffered suffered that shoulder injury early in his season last year, never really saw the field after that, then transferred after they win the national championship to Florida. How healthy is he right now? How much is he even able to contribute? Is he Mm -hmm. going to be one of those guys in the red, no-contact jersey? Is he even able to play? He got on campus as an early enrollee, so you'd think that he's nearly fully recovered or was close to finishing his recovery with UF's training staff shoulder injury you're talking seven months out from when he suffered it it's possible that he's a full participant in spring practice but Mm -hmm. i'm just really intrigued to see what they have in him because he was the number nine overall cornerback in in what that that 2020 class yeah and you know any guy from georgia you you sort of perk your ears up because i mean brenton cox right yeah yeah Yeah. so (laughs) so and you figure well if he couldn't crack that that's not necessarily an indictment on on the kid because I mean, you're looking at I mean, some of the best players in college football last year couldn't crack. I mean, I, I got Jameson Williams from went to Alabama. He couldn't crack Ohio State. Yeah, but I, you know, he became obviously the, the the best receiver in the, in the nation at Alabama. So you're thinking, well, in the right situation, and it's sort of funny when you think with he was on the sideline in Jacksonville watching that game. Is 
And I'm sure at that point, the wheels were turning in his head and he knew who, who Georgia had coming back. And he's thinking, all right. But, and he saw what was what Florida had. And, and he's like, all right, Kyrie Elam, he's probably, yes, that's, that's, I think I can make it go here, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and so here he is and he has all that, obviously, you know, he was, as you said, a, a, a top, top recruit. And he, he didn't really get a shot there at Georgia because they're so stacked and he got hurt. So yeah. come here. And, yeah. and this is a, a, a position where it is, you know, it is sort of a position of need because you don't know. You, you don't know if, uh, about the injuries and, and who will come back and who's, who's okay. I mean, Avery Helms is, you know, looked okay. You know, he's okay. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Marshall, right? Yeah, Jason Marshall. Jason Jr. Marshall, yeah. 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 Uh, Jason Marshall. I mean, he's probably the guy. You know, on the one, but but it's it. There's some question marks there. So th- there's an opening there. If you know, that's the question: is is he healthy? And if he is healthy, you know that that'll be very interesting to see. Well, you mentioned a transfer from Ohio State, and a little prophetic there because the last guy in this list is a signal caller transfer from Ohio State, Jack Miller the third. I I don't think that they brought him in for no reason. Maybe it was the health of Anthony Richardson. Maybe it was the uncertainty regarding Emory Jones. And then two guys behind him in Jalen Kitna and Carlos Del Rio Wilson, who didn't see the field as freshmen. They they redshirted but didn't play in any games. And then Max Brown, your signee at quarterback, not going to be here until the summer. Maybe Jack Miller is going to take more reps than a lot of people think regarding mm-hmm. the uncertainties of quarterback. I, I'm kind of intrigued by him. Ah, uh, uh, quarterback. And it, that's a good position that people always fixate on now, but there are so many subplots to this one. And, you know, because it, it is just so weird, A, that Emory Jones came back, you know, the, the, the considering what all he went through last year, and he, he you know, who among us would have thought he might still be the starting quarterback? You know, I, I don't think you know Billy Napier thought that, but you know he wasn't going to tell the kid, you know, "Don't come back." Yeah, I, I, you know, I guess he he could have intimated it, but he he didn't because he thinks he could use him. And you know, Anthony Richardson, the big question mark because he's he's as 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 Graham Hall reported first. You know, he he's limited somewhat this year, so you don't know what you're going to get out of him. So. If it would have just been those two guys and last year's room, you know, then, then you're looking at two freshmen who've, you know, well, who, who's going to step forward? So this this guy, you know, he gives, you know, he's almost like a security blanket. I think, you know, if 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 Richardson can't do it, and and Emory is still having his issues with turnovers, said, well, yeah, th- this is the most proven other guy. They, they hadn't done much, but obviously, you know, it's it's like uh, uh, Kimber and everybody else when you're coming from Georgia or Ohio State or something like that, you're thinking, all right, this guy, you know, it, you know they, they don't sign people who can't play. It's yeah. just, you know, you just get him in the right system. And, you know, and he coming in, you know, for spring and he's been here, you know, learned. He, it's funny, he, he is not any, at any greater disadvantage than anybody else in that quarterback room when it comes to, have, you know, coming in and learning a new system because they're all doing it. Clean slate too, yeah. right? Isn't that what the benefit yeah. of a coaching change? You know, I talked about the downside early about going from Mullen to, to Napier, there's a lot of guys in that room who want a fresh start. They want to be reevaluated. Oh, and we're going to talk about those returners here in the next segment. We're going to take a quick break, talk about some returning players that we are excited to see here at spring practice when we come back. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. 
We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. You are back listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. I am Graham Hall, joined to my left by my co-host, David Whitley. We are now going to talk the guys back in the building who spent the 2021 season in Gainesville having that 6-7 and seven record that they did not expect last year in what ended up being Dan Mullen's final season. I don't think anyone saw that coming. I don't think a lot of these guys foresaw having a, a third coach in, <clears throat> in five years. There are some that have gone through another coaching change that were initially signed to, to Jim McElwain. So pretty crazy that Florida yeah. is doing this once again and there's some guys who have gone through it and we're going to talk about them here and more. Yeah, it's funny when you mentioned you you're right. Usually going into a season, you know a coach is on the the old proverbial hot seat. You know, that term wasn't being thrown around with Dan Mullen last year at this point. Wasn't been what wasn't even mentioned until, you know, mid mid October you started here. No, you know, so yeah. I mean, it nobody foresaw that, you know, the Titanic, the, you know, that iceberg last year. Yeah, the coaching carousel moves at lightning yeah. speed and and if you don't get thrown off, man, you, you're yeah. doing something right. I thought a lot of people, like like a lot of people, I thought that Emory Jones was not going to be back in Gainesville. I thought that he was going to jump ship with Dan Mullen. It, it sure looked like that. But when you talk about returning players, I think that he just kind of has to be at the top of your list because there are so many unknowns regarding him. We don't even know if he's going to be in Gainesville in fall. And I don't mean that with any disrespect whatsoever, but you're talking about someone who's going to graduate, may have a chance to go elsewhere. You know the transfer portal gives guys an opportunity to leave whenever they want and maybe take a better opportunity, and the schools can get them in sometimes at any moment, it looks like, as we talked mm-hmm. about last week with Jaden Daniels being available for LSU spring practice. I just don't know what they do with Emory Jones, and we're going to find out later today and throughout the week and throughout the coming weeks, but if he goes out there getting the large majority of snaps, that is going to be very, very telling because they're not going to waste this portion in giving Emory Jones snaps if he's not going to be your starting quarterback or have a significant chance to be your starting quarterback when fall rolls around. I know that Anthony Richardson, a huge question mark. But how they use Emory Jones is going to tell a lot, and we haven't really heard a lot from Billy yeah. Napier. Yeah, well, you said we don't know, and they don't really know either because... Yeah. They have been in the film room, you know, and and in in shorts, probably watching. You know, may I don't know if, I don't know if they're legally allowed to watch these, but you know, Emory Jones was doing this year what he was doing la- last year, where going anything. All right, yeah, everything looks good, you know. But 
until he got on the field, that's when you started seeing that maybe maybe there's an issue here, you know, mm. with her. So I think they're in the same boat. You know, he I'm sure he is he has been been sitting in the front row of every film session, taking notes and doing everything right because that's just how Emory Jones is. But until he gets out there on the field in this new system and whatever quarterback whispering they're doing with him that obviously didn't quite click last year, you know, whether that will come come out and he will, you know, not throw 13 interceptions this year. Uh, they don't. They're going to get their first real look at this too, but you're, it is just so so curious because I mean, all power to him, for, you know, for for sticking around and thinking I'm going to get my degree and graduate. But I, he, I think he was balancing that. All right, if I do that, you know, I if I'm going to transfer to another school, it would really be my to my advantage if I got there for spring practice. You know that because now if he did transfer, he, you know, he's he's going to be the total new guy starting behind everybody. So. I think, and just just based on that, that he's he's committed here. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. I know that I said that there's some questions, but yeah. it would be kind of a surprise for him to do that disservice to himself to not go through yeah. spring at a place that he plans on playing. Yeah, and I think it speaks very highly, saying I'm confident that I can come in here and I you know, I can work this thing out and yeah. I can still play here. And you know what a story that would be. If it's true, because it, it's sort of like Lazarus rising from the dead, because everybody thought that, you know, that, that the uh, that the Gasparilla Bowl, that was it. For him, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you talk about returners that are also a question mark. We have to talk about his pass catching core, because Florida lost six of their top nine receivers from last year. Kamari Gamble's at UCF, Jacob Copeland's at Maryland. Justin Shorter's back. He's he was your number two receiver last year. He's back in the fold. He only caught forty one passes last year, but you know Trent Whittemore. He's mm-hmm. back in the fold as well. And then after him, you come to Marcus Burke on the list. An underclassman was a freshman out of Jacksonville. They're really really high on him. But anytime you're going in with a new group of pass catchers, in a sense, there's going to be maybe a lack of familiarity in a sense, but maybe also a drop-off in experience because you're talking about going from Copeland and, and yeah. Moore Gamble, guys who were in their fourth, fifth years on campus, and now you're relying on, yeah. on some underclassmen. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it that is probably the thinnest position, you know, because I, I, after you get through, you know, after, after Whittemore, you know, you know he'll, he'll probably be in the slot. And, and but you know, they, they are, uh, they need somebody to come in because nobody out there, when you think wide receiver, you, you think you, you think a game breaker or something. And and you know, uh, I mean, I mean, Justin Shorter, he he looked solid, but you know, he he got what he had forty one catches, and and you know, he he had some good games. He he looks dependable, but he doesn't scare you. You know, I think if you're a defensive coordinator, I don't know anybody over there who you think, oh man, this this guy this guy we got to account for right now. Um, so I mean, they have a couple of young guys. The 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 I call them the, the two the the, the J A apostrophe guys. You know, uh, on uh, the the uh, uh, I need my roster in front of me because there's just just too many names right now. <laughs> there are a yeah, lot of names. Yeah, yeah. that uh, that have potential. So they that's where that's an open spot where somebody can come in and shine and and start getting a lot of playing time. Yeah, absolutely. I I would think that. It would have been, you know, not surprising to me if Florida had identified wide receiver as a position of need in the transfer portal, but they chose not to. So they must be fairly confident in the guys that they have returning here. Yeah. Uh, You know, you talk about transfer portal last year. That was a huge need. We saw Florida really identify the interior of the defensive line. 
because last year you get Tyrone Truesdell, who is actually one of the six transfers that counts against this class because when he arrived, Daquan Newkirk came over from Auburn. Antonio Valentino came over from Penn State. You had three guys before last season that came over to play on the interior of the defensive line. And boy, thank thank goodness they did exactly. for Florida. That, you yeah. know, they have a lot of, that's been a position where we've talked about depth issues for a few years, but COVID really did a number on that as well. You saw Jalen Lee, Jalen Humphreys missed the year. The guy, the guy returning right now is Jervon Dexter, who is just a true junior. And then Prunsley Umenmielen is another one that is going to be expected. To, and you, you're good at these names. I, I have practiced that I'll one. We've butchered it before, so uh, I've taken my time to make sure I, I can say it. And Say it one more time, because I, I, I have to learn it. Umenmielen. Umenmielen. U-M-A-N-M-I-E-L-E-N. You know, one thing I noticed. And if I'm saying it wrong, Princely, please don't. Yes. Don't beat me up, man. Yeah, it, it, it should be on it, but I, t- totally uh, off off the uh, topic, sort of, but you know, this is maybe the only team in NCAA history that has a Princely and a Kingsley. Ooh, that's right. That's right. I have a great story about yeah. Kingsley. I'm going to have to tell you a little bit later here okay. about his recruitment here at UF. We're getting a little off topic, but defensive line, yeah. Jalen Humphreys, that's a guy that, you know, Lamar Goods, we've been waiting on one of these guys to step up and command some more attention. Last year, we saw Desmond Watson, the big guy who came in, weighed in over 400 pounds when he got here, got in better shape, continues to get in better shape. They're in danger of getting usurped on the depth chart by Desmond. And we're going to see if these guys are still in the picture here pretty soon because we know that there's an opportunity available. There's no redshirt seniors that have Mm -hmm. transferred in. There is playing time available at the interior of the defensive line and who is going to step up next to Jervon and Presley right. is I mean, very interesting. That, to me. That's it. I mean, after, you know, Jervon might be, he might, might be the best player on that team. I mean, coming in this year and, uh, and he was, he was, you know, he looks like he's going to be a, a force there, you know, and cause he was good last year and he's getting better and better. He's the guy who's lived up to his living up to his billing. I mean, you're right. But after that, it's, it's a question mark with, you know, I mean, there's, there's Princely, uh, and I'm still not ready to try to pronounce the last name, but try Desmond Watson. He got a lot of attention just because he's so massive, and you know it's a it's a cool story. But he just can't stand the you know un- unless he, you know I I don't know what he's weighing. That'll be interesting to see what he is weighing in this spring uh, after the, uh, the the last six weeks of, of intense training because you know he he's he can help, but you, you want a guy who who doesn't you know need to come to the sideline for oxygen, you know every <laughs> every third play. Uh, it's wide open, but that and and they may be using four defensive linemen, you know, in this new scheme. So I mean, it's 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 open there if one of these young guys can come. It is there. There certainly is an opportunity available, and then you may see if no one steps up, them do what they did last year, where they bring in a guy who yeah. has some familiarity with the coaches. You know, you knew that the two guys from Auburn knew Wesley McGriff, who came over and joined uh, last year, Dan Mullen's coaching staff. So if you don't see one of these guys step up. Florida may say, hey, we're going to have to get some help in here because you guys didn't step up and command it. Last one I want to talk about because you know that Florida fans love saying that this is defensive back university. You've heard that DBU moniker a few times, I, right? I've heard it. I haven't quite seen it yet. You though. haven't seen it yeah. yet. It's that, it has been missing. That's, yeah. That is absolutely it. You know, no disrespect to Kyer Elam. I think he's one of the top 50 players in the draft, if not one of the top 30. I know that there are people who say that I'm wrong and he's top 10. I think that he was fantastic last year, but the way that Florida struggled, the dip in 
team pass deficiency. I mean, they were, what, 34th last year? Mm-hmm. They were 31st the year before. That was the worst two seasons since 2007 in that regard. So really, you saw that claim to being DBU drop-off. The guys around Elam last year are going to need to step up. You were talking about Avery Helm. I think that he can still improve. We know they lost Jaden Hill last year to an ACL tear. Got to think he's not available yeah, it's, it's a little. Too, you think it's a little too soon. He's not Cam Akers, right? Yeah, that was only seven, you know, eight months ago. Not a superhuman out right. here he, healing. So, you know, if you can get him back by next year, I think that's a win. No need to push him. Jason Marshall, as we referenced, going to be expected to take a huge leap. You know, a guy who was on campus early last year has now been on campus for more than a year. True sophomore, played a lot last year. I think he was in 11 games, started with Avery Helm at some portions last year as injuries mounted, I think that he is going to be called upon to play a significant portion as well as some of these other guys. Ethan yeah. Pouncey, I mean, that was a that was another five-star top 10 corner in his class. One of those guys is going to have to step up and replace Kyer Elam, who is going to be one of those top picks in the draft. So who is that going to be? Is Florida going to go a third year really without being able to claim DBU? We're, we're going to find that out pretty yeah. soon. I, I think Marshall, based on what he had to do with a, being a true freshman, and especially in that position, because there's no more lonely position on the football field, I think, than cornerback. I mean, you're out there on the island, and if you screw up, everybody knows it. Unlike, you know, I mean, uh, a defensive lineman in the interior, you know, th- th- those guys, it's not like they, they make a bad read, and, and the one guy, you know, he's in the end zone uh, tossing the ball back to the ref. <laughs> That's the way it is. And, I, and so he was under a lot of pressure last year, especially once, once uh, you know, the, the injuries came in preseason and he was, he was out there. And they had to play him because they, they, they really didn't know. I mean, that, they had a lot of new guys coming in, you know, transferring in because that was a position of need. And I thought he did, he did pretty well. By the end of the year, he was a steady guy out there. So I think, you know, based on that, he's been through that the proverbial baptism with fire now. And he, I mean, when you think about it, you know, he's just, he's a true sophomore now. So I think he would be the, by far, I think the guy that I think will take over at that, you know, DBU position. And you know, I don't know if it'll be Kyrie because Kyrie did end up having a really good year based on everything going around him, you know. And I and and, and my hat's still off to him for for not opting out of the the, the meaningless Gasparilla Bowl, right? Like so many guys could have. That showed showed you a lot. Of Needs the opportunity to improve, yeah. and certainly yeah. a promising sign for him. So that's the returning players I'm most interested to see when you especially look at the positions of need that Florida's going to have to address. We know there's a lot more. We talked about offensive line. Certainly linebacker is another one, that front seven in general. Uh, Brenton Cox, you know, that, I got to talk about him. I know you want to talk about yeah. him before we go to this quick last break here. He led Florida in a lot of categories last year. Sacks, tackles for loss, wore the number one jersey. I think a lot of people were surprised that he came back. I wasn't really surprised he came back. I think he still feels as if he has unfinished business. And if you remember, he wasn't available last year throughout the summer, had the Jones fracture, was injured for much of last year, and then still leads Florida in these categories. His best football may be... Yeah, well, that's just it. When you think of of how he did last year, considering he he was never healthy. Yeah, I I, frankly, I'm not sure exactly what a Jones thing. Jones, I mean, (laughs) it's in your foot. I I know. Yeah, I know it's a foot thing, but I'm thinking, you know, was it was Jones? Was he the guy who who was the initial uh, patient, like like Tommy John? 
That's that's okay. something you don't want to be known for, okay. right? Yeah, I know, Mr. John. Of course, thankfully, it was just his last name as opposed to like you know Tommy John. Here's a great picture, but people always think, oh, oh, the surgery guy. It's not like he did anything bad. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. So he was not. In fact, I remember reading in preseason says he's out for the year because they saw somebody spotted him on a scooter with in a cast. That was and, a Georgia site. Yeah, that, yeah, Georgia site was going wishful nuts. Thinking. Said, said, and I mean, they had him basically, you know, almost getting his leg amputated. You know, this guy will never walk again. And he, but he goes out there, and I, you know. I think he played on one and a half feet last year. and But by the end of the year, I, I think he was the best player on the field. I know against FSU, he was dominating that yeah. game. And and this is a guy who, you know, again, a transfer from Georgia who was a five-star that didn't quite work out, but it was working out big here. So if he is healthy, you know, I, I think he, he could be a terror out there. Yeah, and I'm hearing he is going to wear the number one jersey again, barring anything unforeseen, but going to have to earn it, as will everyone else in spring practice, which again begins today. I'm excited. In this last break coming up, we are going to make a little transition and talk men's basketball and their coaching transition from Mike White to who knows? Who knows? We'll be right back. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm Graham Hall, joined on my left by David Whitley. Going to talk a little Mike White, Florida washing out of the SEC tournament. Maybe a little Texas A&M snub. It was a snub, man. I, and they, I, you know, you, you wonder sometimes why they even have these tournaments because right? it's, it's almost like the selection committee doesn't watch them. I was joking that uh, they stopped watching after Thursday. I, I do these tip-off yeah. speaking gigs, and I was saying the worst case scenario for for Florida was that they're going to either have to win the whole thing. Or they're going to get eliminated because the committee's not going to watch. They're either going to need to win the tournament to make the NCAA tournament, or they're going to be washed well, out. You, you are wiser than I because I thought if they would win two, they they'd be in. But and I thought that it was a given once A and M, especially when they won three. And I thought there's no way they're not getting in. But so yeah, in retrospect, you look back and think, all right, yes. Yeah, so the Gators, if they you know if they had beaten A and M and then somehow gotten by Auburn. And then lost and then not gotten in, boy, you know, this town would have been up in arms. I agree. I absolutely agree. And we've heard Mike White say time and time again that the depth of competition in the SEC is incredible. You've seen it here. And the numbers back that up. I mean, six, seven teams regularly beating up on each other for the SEC title. I think five of the last seven years, there's been a different team that's won the regular season conference title. He knows how tough this league is to win at, and that's why he's heading to Florida's SEC Eastern Division rival, the Georgia Bulldogs, who only managed to win six games this year under Tom Crean, who I got to say, David, I thought was going to do much better up there in Athens than he did. And I know a lot of Bulldogs fans thought that he would be a much better coach, at least results-wise, than 
Mark Fox was, and that ended up not being the case. I mean, six wins is dismal, yeah. but they had talent. Cario Quendo was good. Braylon Bridges was really good. You saw how effective they were against Florida. They were in every single one of those games. It wasn't as bad as the results indicated, and, and Mike White now is going to get to see what they have up there in Athens from a very up-close and personal view as their new head coach. Yeah, you know, that Georgia situation has always been odd because they – is. As good of a, you know, they're in a good recruiting area. You know, I mean, Atlanta is just a fertile recruiting ground. And they've had, I mean, it's, it's a name brand program. I mean, they don't have a great basketball legacy, but it's not, it's not any worse than a lot of schools out there. And, but, and they've bought in good coaches, you know, and you're right. I thought Crean, that he would do more, but I never thought that after four years he'd be winning six games. So, and you, it's just curious. And, you know, in, in a way, it, it's a great spot for, for Mike White to go into, obviously, because, you know, he, he's got the instant honeymoon and, and God knows it's easier to replace Green than it was Billy Donovan. Yeah. So he does anything, people going good. Uh, and I, I although it, it is still just a little bit odd to think that, you know, one day I, and that, that you have a Florida coach and the next day, you know, he's, he's, he's that is. saying, you know, how about them dogs? He wrote a really good column uh, about that. Everyone yeah. should read on gatorsports.com. Uh, it, it's just part yeah. of the new era and let alone having an SEC school hire a power five coach coming off of missing the NCAA tournament. Usually the guys we see hired are winning 26, 27 games. But I also think that speaks to how difficult it is to actually make the NCAA tournament. I mean, if you are regularly in competition for the NCAA tournament at Georgia, I mean, they're, they're, praising you yeah i i think you know this is a win-win for for both schools because things had just gotten i mean god, god knows this has been the the talk for years and that that's that was the problem you know it has mike white is it's just not going to happen here you know everybody you heard you know good guy ethical runs a clean program uh which is more than than could be said for a lot of sec coaches and you wish it could have happened uh you know and he he just had so much bad luck i mean Injuries and adversity always come with every program, but he just seemed to have more than anybody, you know. With, yeah. and, and you know the whole Keontae Johnson thing was was just a you know a singular disaster that I you know, that that not just from a basketball standpoint, but but how that was handled, you know. And you know I I defended him you know like for as, as long as I could, but then you just see I mean you you were at games and you just saw the, the malaise that had set in around the program, and you talk to people who. Who aren't just you know just the you know the the, the nutty people who always are, are, are complaining about things and you know, I know I know you know a couple of people who you know one judge and look who had canceled canceled their their season tickets they just you know, said well I, I I just don't like going anymore there's and and there there's some you know some bit of the Billy Donovan spoiled kind of thing there but not a lot of it because th- things were just in a rut and and. You look at the roster that was coming back next year, and you said it, it wasn't going to get any better. I mean, it's hard to imagine because there, there's, you know, they, it's a rebuilding thing. And so after seven years, you just figure, you know, he needed a change. I think Florida needed a change, and, and it's almost like you know Georgia just the heavens opened, and you know here come come get him. Yeah, Scott Strickland, I think, understands the scenario far better than a lot of fans did because. Florida knew that they were on the hook if they wanted to move on from Mike White. If they were the ones to make the first move, they would be paying him what eight yeah, eight, plus eight, million dollars. Yeah, eight, eight million. They've been you know, and and you throw that on top of the twelve they were paying Dan Mullen. Then people, you know, that's twenty million in dead money. I so mean, so all of us in our business, if if our you know, if you have an employee that 
is you're gonna have to pay to get rid of, but he may get hired away by another company and they could pay you yeah. to hire him. Why would you not let that happen if you really wanted that to be the mutual parting mm-hmm. of ways? And and I you know, I have a great deal of respect for Mike White for how he handled a lot of things, especially the Keontae Johnson situation, especially the toxicity from the fan base on social media. I I just I do have a little pause certainly about going to Georgia to do this because now you are 100% rather than there ever being a chance of fans appreciating what you did, the hard circumstances, there are going to be so many of those that are never going to be able to see the context or realign their perspective because it's Georgia. And mm-hmm. and that's just unfortunate to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge Mike for that decision because I think ultimately it's the right one to stay in the SEC, keep competing. I mean, I think all of us would take a equal-paying job if it meant that we were respected for the work we were doing rather than harassed yeah. for our finishes. I totally understand that. But there is a part of me that realizes that this decision means that he will never have the appreciation for being a top-20 SEC winning coach. I mean, his SEC winning percentage is 19th all-time. There's never going to be a Florida fan that thinks now that – yeah. He is a great coach because he's going to be at Georgia. Yeah, the, the only way it would be, and, and this wouldn't even, but if the next guy comes in, it's just a complete flop, and we all say, yeah, you thought you exactly. thought it was bad before. You yep. know, now you wish you had Mike White. Yeah, and right. I'm not rooting right. for that. No, no, no. And, it's and, perspective, right. you know, because look, we, we're talking about Tom Crean and winning only six games, and everyone thought that he would be a great coach, and you never really know what you have. So it's just a reminder to appreciate when you do have a, a good, maybe not amazing top 10 coach like Billy Donovan, but when you have a good coach who is winning in this really deep league, 19, 20 games, could things be better? Absolutely. But when you look at the context, what we just talked about, injuries, everything, I mean, those matter a lot more in college basketball than they do in college football. When you lose a guy like Keontae Johnson, you're playing the entire season with a season-ending injury with a guy who is the reigning SEC player of the year. That matters just a lot more. Yeah. in college basketball, and yet you still want to put the same blame on the coach. So we'll have to see if things are, are going to get better, though. Yeah, it will be fascinating to see how that, you know, if nothing else, though, you know, a Florida-Georgia might have a rivalry in basketball, finally. Cause yeah. Because it's going to be, I'm a, it'll be fun next year when he comes in, and, you know, boy, the fans will be pumped and everything. You know, but you can't, you know, the, there was never anything personal. You know, every even his worst crit. You know, they they, they like the guy. You know, yeah. it's funny. Like a lot of times, you know, guys were out there welcome. I mean, you could even see it with Mullen. There was you know some personal. They just because they didn't sure. they just didn't consider him a, a that he a straight shooter and all that. But nobody ever had any problem with with Mike White on a personal. Anyone level. who knew him, yeah, anyone who knew exactly. him, exactly, yeah, and and I I in a way you know you look back when he came here. I I don't know. If he if he even still appreciates that in this position you are going to be treated unfairly by fans, yes. you know, and and people are going to it doesn't matter how well you do. There's always going to be that that segment that is just you know if you don't if you don't win ninety eight percent of your games and if, whether it's football or basketball they're going to say ah you know bring on the next guy and it, it that that whole that whole mentality is just getting worse and worse. It is in this thing. It and, is you know but you know you, you just fall back. Well that that's why you, you get paid the big bucks. You can't let this stuff bother you. And I think it. I don't know if it bothered, but you know he he big family man and just just the the negativity. I think it 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 did get to him a bit. Yeah, and and it's hard to show him. I, I it, just as a you know you're a human being and it'll get to you. And and I think he said, well, I, I 
I don't, you know, I don't need this. My family doesn't need this. I'll go somewhere where, you know, I can at least turn on the radio, you know, yeah. and, and, and people won't be using my name in vain for at least, you know, a year or so. Yeah. And when you have young kids like that who want to go to the games and they're being surrounded by fans booing and screaming profanity about your father, that can yeah. be a really just tough situation. And what we just said, 19, 20 wins. We know that that was kind of one of the worst things that, that Florida ever did. They never were below nine and nine in the SEC, never had a losing record in conference play in Mike White's tenure. That would be fantastic in Athens. We're going to have to follow that for a long time to come. We'll be back next week to talk more spring practice and the lead up to the Orange and Blue debut game on April 16th. Thanks for listening to the Gator Sports Podcast. See you later.